What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane, and we've made it through the wildcard weekend, Dwayne. Uh, Divisional weekend is on tap. And what's great is that we still have almost as many games. We had six games last week. We have four games this week. So uh, if nothing else, Super Wildcard Weekend still leaves us with a whole lot of options the following week. So I guess that's good. There's more football. That's that's never a bad thing, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, more football is always good. I know, uh, you know, when you look at it from like a, you know, zoom out perspective, a lot of people thought, ah, oh, well, you're watering things down. Like, no, now look at it. Now we're like, okay, yeah, we're good. We've got more football. So yeah, and we've got some really awesome matchups this weekend. Um, so super excited to dive in. Yeah, let's might, might as well just get right into it because it is a full show today. We are going to preview all four of the divisional matchups. Plus, Let's start at the beginning uh, where we are talking about what is turning out to be scapegoat season. Now that we have hit the off season for most of the teams in the NFL and we're seeing coaching changes, it seems as though maybe a lot of head coaches are sort of uh, passing the buck, if you will, in some respects. Uh, in one case, it is actually with the bucks, but let's start actually uh, in Los Angeles. Joe Lombardi is out for the Chargers. They also fired quarterback coach Shane Day. And I know a lot of people are immediately saying, Dwayne, that, hey, man, this can't be anything but good for Justin Herbert. I reserve judgment until the Chargers actually make a hire. But it does seem like the problems for the Chargers go a little bit deeper than just what happened with the offensive coordinator. He didn't help. But, Dwayne, I don't know that it was completely Joe Lombardi's fault. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And here's the other part of it. You know, wide receivers... It's been statistically proven they really own, quote unquote, if you will, their average depth of target. If you are a good wide receiver that can work your way and you don't have to be able to go deep to just be a good wide receiver. But if you have the ability to go deep, like you will get targets deep, right? Because you're going to be deployed in that manner. um, Typically, like some coaches will do weird things, but for the most part, coaches do try to use players in the best way, right? That fits their skill set. And when you look at a guy like Mike Williams, that's where it, you know, it becomes kind of iffy because you're like, well, at one point, Mike Williams was really doing that. He did that less, you know, over the last two years. So I think it definitely had an impact. But at the same time, you know, Mike Williams is more of a go down the field contested catch guy, right? He's not your, okay, I'm just going to burn you over the top, like drop it in the basket and I'm gone. Like he just doesn't, he's more of a one gear kind of deep player he, he has to win in that contested moment well and if you start doing if you're an analytics guy like staley is if you're an analytics team and you start studying those sorts of targets that leads to a lot of contested catch situations and guess what your catch rate goes down so the likelihood of you really coming through with the big play is lower versus someone that can truly get over the top and just be open right and and catch the bomb like a dj chark like a what a jameson williams will be what tyreek hill can do And so I do think there's kind of two things going on here. I do agree that Lombardi, you know, he really honed his craft, right, with Drew Brees. Mm -hmm. And Drew Brees was really at the, you know, mid to later part of his career when he was working with Lombardi. And also the weapons they had there kind of dictated that as well, that let's just get the ball underneath. Let's check it to our running backs. Let's go to, you know, remember uh, Slant Boy, Michael Thomas. (laughs) Let's go to to these guys. Uh, Think back to Marquise Colson, all these different players. And so he had that exposure there. So I definitely think some of that kind of trickled over, right? And he had the right kind of players. He kind of tried to turn Mike Williams more into that Mike Thomas type role, really. And then he, you know, he had Austin Eckler playing the Alvin Kamara role. That worked out really well. So I think I think it's both. I do think that 
we do need the change in the coordinator. I agree with you. Let's let's reserve judgment until we see who it is. But I think for this to fully be solved and to truly unlock everything we think Herbert has from a potential perspective, you've also got to add another wide receiver. You've got to add someone that can truly stretch the field vertically and give him the ability just to drop one in for a touchdown at any time. You know, and I think that, that Mike you know, Williams can still do his thing. You know, he can still win contested balls where he's great as you get down inside the 10, right? And you just throw it to him in the end zone. Like he's really been good in that area for his career, but mistaking him just as one of the best deep threats. You know, I think if you look at the data, you can see a lot of times that doesn't turn out the way that they really hoped because of all the contested ball situations. Yeah. And you, you hit on the thing for me, that's the biggest, they have to get some speed on the outside. That is one thing that they have been missing for the last couple of years. Keenan Allen is great at what he does. Mike Williams is very good at what he does, but you're right. They don't have that guy. That's just going to scare the defense and force them to back off. And when you have a quarterback, who's got the arm that Justin Herbert does, you want that element in your offense. It's, it's something that's been missing. And I think we saw that uh, in some ways against the Jaguars. We certainly saw it all season long. And, and I'm curious to see what the Chargers do. I feel like that's something that they may have to address in the draft because you and I have talked about the wide receiver free agent class. And there, there really isn't anybody there, uh, you know, maybe aside from DJ Chark, who could be a very popular man uh, this offseason. Um, <laughs> yeah, we keep bringing up his name. We think, keep uh, bringing him we're going right? to have to give DJ Chark's agent a ring and be like, hey, man. <laughs> You know, we're, we're pumping him up here. Can we, can we get a finder's fee or something? Just a little it bit of something to help out. Really could be a huge contract for him. Yeah. You know, versus what, when I say huge, versus what people are going to expect because of this wide receiver market. He picked the perfect year <laughs> to be <laughs> coming back up for free agency, signing that one deal. Uh, he's in a good spot. Yeah, Jordan just dropped it in. I was thinking the same thing, too. He could be this year's Christian Kirk, where somebody's going to pay him, and we're all going to kind of raise our eyebrows and be like, man, that seems like a lot for DJ Chark. But then when you look at the landscape around him, uh, it's going to make a whole lot of sense. Uh, news that uh, came out earlier that uh, Byron Leftwich is no longer the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. And you want to talk about a kind of a fall from grace. I mean, this is a guy who... Not that long ago, people were talking about, hey, maybe he should be a head coach somewhere. Now he's looking for a gig. And yeah, the the Bucks offense was not good. I don't think there's really any way around that. But I feel like, Dwayne, looking at it, this was more about the pieces in that offense than necessarily what was schemed up. I mean, it's an older offense. They had injuries and just underperformance along the offensive line. I feel like there was only so much that Byron Leftwich was going to be able to do with the the tools he was given this year. Yeah, for me, this one is, um, you know, looking back at the Lombardi one, you know, that was tough um, because if you really look at, look at Staley, like he's known Lombardi for like since he was like 22, like there was a connection there. He probably didn't want to make that move. His hand was probably forced. The GM was probably like, look, we got to do something. I'm trying to keep you. I know it sucks, <laughs> but he's got to go. That's probably right. what happened. Mm -hmm. This one, I'm like Todd Bowles, like. You lost the game against the Cowboys. I know the offense didn't play well, but your defense was terrible. Your defense gave up wide open looks all over the field. Dak had multiple weapons open uh, multiple times, like throughout the game. I want to say I was looking at it the other day. He had three plus wide receivers open. I want to say it was like over 20% of the dropbacks, like three <laughs> guys, three guys with a step or more of separation, according to PFF. So that's not good. And, and your defense, you know, was pretty healthy. I agree with you that looking at the Bucks' offense, it aged really quickly from a, not just a player perspective, but from a way the NFL wants to now play 
defense. And we've talked about it so many times this year. So, you know, is Leftwich a great coordinator? I don't know. Should he be gone? I don't know. But I wouldn't have kept Todd Bowles either. I would have cleaned house on the whole thing. I know you just gave him the job last year, but I wasn't impressed with him holding up his end of the bargain. This defense did not play well. He's got some really good defenders on that side of the ball. I would have made a clean sweep change here if it was me but uh I, I get it you're trying to keep some some form of continuity i do think there's something to be said for continuity in the nfl um but the bucks seem to be one of these teams that man especially if brady's not back like it's gonna be a problem so be very interested to see what they do with the offensive coordinator uh and and the coordinator could be very tied to trying to get brady to come back you know it could they could be having the kind of conversation that's like hey man who do you want <laughs> like whoever you want we'll bring them here if you'll stay yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Tampa, for sure, because there's a lot of pieces uh, that are in motion right now. We'll see kind of how they, they end up when it's all said and done. Speaking of coordinators, I mean, this is the time of year when you hear a lot of coordinators' names come up for potential head coaching opportunities, uh, offensive, defensive coordinators, doesn't really matter. Some of the names we hear a lot. You've got one, though, that maybe hasn't been talked about so much. Uh, and that's Mike Kafka in in New York, working with Daniel Jones and, and those guys out there. Uh, your thoughts just on Kafka and, and why he maybe deserves some more love? Yeah. So for me, like I, I feel like the NFL needs to do a better job of evaluating coaches. I feel like what happens is the coordinators that get paired up with the best quarterbacks naturally, their offense plays well, and then they get the next head coaching jobs. Like I, I just I don't know that that's the best way to think about it. Um, if you look at it's kind of like it's like um looking at college quarterbacks, Marcus, that mm -hmm. played with like four elite receivers, you know, so Alabama, Ohio State, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to know how good they are. You can't blame them that their guys are open all the time, but you have to question, okay, can he do it when he doesn't have four people wide open all the time? Like, it's a valid question, and trying to evaluate that is really hard for NFL front offices, and that's we get a lot of busts on quarterbacks and a lot of times it will tie back to a quarterback that played in that time in that type of situation. Um, those are extreme examples, but you get other examples all the time where someone plays, you know, in a, in a lesser conference, right. than the sec. And you know, the, the, it's not as hard to have as many players open. It can depend on the scheme, those sort of things. So kind of the same thing for me with coaches. Like, okay, great. Like you played with Patrick Mahomes. Now what you play with Josh That's Allen. Good. Now what, what I like about Kafka is we've got a quarterback in Daniel Jones that no one thought after this year he would have any shot at getting another contract with the Giants, or much less being a free agent name that would be a hot commodity. Um, Darius Slayton, if we went out and did interview on the street, maybe we'll do that one day, Marcus. Like, how many people that we ran into, first question, are you a football fan? They have to right. answer that, yes, first. How many Giant receivers can they name? Pro I, I bet <laughs> most people can't name one. Yeah. Most yeah. people don't know who Darius Slayton is. I will. I would bet ninety-five percent of the public doesn't know who Isaiah Hodgins is. Of course, and Richie James is probably down the list. So, seeing what he's done with the pieces that they have, you know, I to me like that says a lot about him. Ben Johnson was the other one, but the Lions smartly retained him because yeah. we saw Jared Goff take this a similar thing, take a big step forward. Now, with him, at least, I think they had some better weapons, right? You got Amon Ross St. Brown working the slot. You added Chark, who we've been talking about last offseason, to the one-year deal. So he at least had a little bit more to work with. But when you get Goff to re-elevate his game after such a bad year and being, you know, the guy that the Rams didn't want anymore, that made me kind of pay attention to him. So I think, you know, Mike Kafka is the other guy that I look at, and I'm like, you know, 
Who did the most with the least? I think it would be hard to point anywhere other than his name. No, I think you're right. And I think I think the way you summed it up is, is great. It's it's those guys who are doing more sort of with less. And and nobody looks at Daniel Jones and immediately thinks franchise top level quarterback. There's still questions. There's still, you know, we still don't know if the Giants are gonna pay him. Uh, you know, obviously you mentioned with Jared Goff, this was a guy who uh, went to a Super Bowl, but it was obvious that it, it felt like the Rams knew they needed more too, and that was why they were comfortable uh, sending him to Detroit. We're going to see what happens. The coaching carousel is very much in effect now. We're going to see some names land probably in the next few weeks, especially as we get headlong into draft season. So we'll sure have more discussion about uh, some of these things as they get a little bit more settled. What we're also going to have a discussion about is the Game Hub, because it's worth talking about all the time. And we mention it all the time on the show because it's an absolutely wonderful tool. You can go check it out over at FantasyLife.com. It is, as I always say, your one-stop shop for everything you want about all the games, whether you are still playing uh, in some type of fantasy format, whether it's best ball, what have you, if you were just making uh, some straight sports bets, if you're doing parlays over-unders, all that stuff, uh, there's plenty of great information there, and that feels like a perfect way to get us into the previews for the divisional round. And let's start on Saturday, the Jaguars at the Chiefs, Kansas City right now, a nine and a half point favorite. The total is 53. And uh, you mentioned here, Dwayne, in the, the show notes, Chiefs 31.25 team total, which is the highest on the slate. I don't know that that's really a surprise to anybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's that, Patrick Mahomes number right, exactly. <laughs> every week. I can't, but. <laughs> I can't say that that's a surprise to anybody at all. Um, I mean, this one, it is. It, it is the highest total game total on the slate as well. And, I, you know, I don't know that the Jaguars have another major comeback in them like they did last week. But this one, to me, seems like it's potentially the most fun. If you love offense, this seems like the game to watch because I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of offense back and forth in this one. Yeah, we saw this matchup in week 10. The Chiefs won 27 to 17. Patrick Mahomes threw for 331 yards, four touchdowns, one pick. He also tacked on 39 yards rushing and a big thing. He was not sacked at all. Trevor Lawrence, 259, two touchdowns, but was sacked five times. So if the Jaguars want to win this game, like one, we know that what Trevor Lawrence has to be hot. We've seen Trevor Lawrence be a bit of a streaky quarterback so far. We haven't, we don't see the necessarily the week to week consistency last week we saw it from half to half right really cold in the first half now some bad luck got him going tip passes and pass interference it's not called they're tough breaks right um but looking at beyond just that you're gonna have to see the jaguars get pressure against mahomes you know um they've got a top six pff rush grade um so seeing what they did against you know the Chiefs back in week 10 was not good that was their second lowest pass rush grade of the season so they've got to have their version of Josh Allen defensive end you know yeah. they've got to have their guys come through against Mahomes you've got to create pressure with four I do think the Jaguars have some tools there they can make that work the problem is they've got a bottom 10 pff coverage grade so they've got to get pressure otherwise you're going to have the same problem you had in the game before they are playing a little bit more man coverage here lately um whenever they played against the chiefs back in that last game it was very heavy zone so maybe we'll see them mix in a little bit more man coverage um but if you can get some pressure on mahomes he's still he's a top three quarterback even when pressured but still, relatively speaking, there's a big drop-off, Marcus. You go from yards per attempt, 8.1, down to 6.6. .6. Completion percentage drops from 67% to 47%. 
So even as good as Mahomes is, those are still dramatic drop-offs. So you've got to get the pressure. You've got to be able to play max coverage, and you've got to have Trevor Lawrence running with a hot hand. If you can do those things, uh, the Chiefs' defense is beatable. Um, the yeah. Chiefs' defense, they benefit from building leads. They benefit from getting to play knowing what the offense has to do. So the Jaguars have to try to stay out of that situation because it compounds when you know Patrick Mahomes is coming back on the field because you start pressing. You're like, oh, got to have a touchdown this drive. And you're not wrong. You probably do have to have a touchdown this drive, but you don't want, you know, coaches are always trying to get players to play in the moment, right? Just the next snap, the next snap, the next snap. And there's a reason for that, right? That's what keeps them sharp. That what That's what keeps them able to execute, compartmentalize. Don't let your emotions take over in the game. But when you're in Kansas City, people are going bananas, and you know Mahomes is there. Like, that's tougher to do. So you've got to try to limit that. You've got to try to – you're going to have to avoid the mistakes. you got to create a turnover early. I know people don't think momentum is real, but I think in that sense, that's where momentum – can count. And I don't even know if you call it momentum, right? You're just trying to keep negativity from piling up on you. Um, and you want to be able to keep yourself in the right mindset. I one, I firmly believe in momentum. Um, and it's non-quantifiable and maybe it is just a mental thing, but I think the mental part of the game is important. And I think that, that it definitely plays in, I think for the Jags to win this game, to be successful, I think what you mentioned, they have to get pressure on Mahomes. They have to score sevens and not threes. They have to put the ball in the end zone, right? And I think, but I think part of that is you really are playing with house money at this point, right? You have nothing to lose. No one really expects you to go into Arrowhead and win. Why not be loose and be aggressive and take your shots? Don't be reckless, but take your shots when you have them there. Because as you mentioned, that that secondary, that defense can be beaten. And so if you get a, a, a Trevor Lawrence who comes in there and is confident and is accurate with the football and is getting it out quickly, um, I think you know they can at least be competitive. And, and that's all you want if you're Jacksonville. You want to have a shot. You want to be within striking distance when you get in the fourth quarter and then just see what you can make happen. But uh, if, if they are giving up too many points, uh, if they're getting run through uh, and, they can't, uh, and they can't punch the ball in the end zone on their own, then I think it's going to be a really long, really tough day for them. Uh, let's look at some of the individual players there, too, because you talk about the Jags playing more man defense. The Chiefs play quite a bit of man defense on their own, and that seems to open some things up for Christian Kirk. You've got him as the wide receiver eight. Um, this feels like a week, though, where Christian Kirk could really go out and I won't say open eyes because we've seen him all year long, but go out and, and kind of really make some plays against this Kansas City defense. Yeah, the last time they played, 12 targets, 9 catches, 105 yards, and 2 touchdowns. So on one hand, you know the matchups are there and they can execute. On the other hand, you got to think the Chiefs are also thinking, wow, <laughs> we can't let Christian Kirk beat us. Now, the, the thing that could protect him here is as the Chiefs are watching film, getting ready for the game, they're also going to notice Zay Jones. They're also going to notice Evan Ingram. And they're going to be like, okay, like, well, really, can we just focus on Christian Kirk? Or is our... Is our strategy better to make them go inside and underneath to a guy like Kirk and not give up the big ball to Zay Jones on the outside or even a Marvin Jones who saw a 91% you know, uh, route participation last weekend? That's the most he's seen since week five. So it's almost like the Jaguars kind of put him under wraps. He's a 32-year-old guy, but he's a guy that can come up with a big catch down the field. You know, He's that contested catch guy for them. Um, he can score touchdowns. So I think there are enough weapons here to help protect Kirk from getting, you know, the double coverage type treatment. Also, the fact that he gets to line up and play from the slot most, and they use him in motion, they do some different things with him that help really make it tough for the defense to say, we're going to truly take him away. So I do like Kirk a lot this weekend. You mentioned got him as my wide receiver eight. The other name I would mention really quickly here is just going to the opposite side of the field and looking mm -hmm. at the, the slot receiver for the Chiefs. 
and that's Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, Smith-Schuster's really turned into a boom-bust commodity this year, right? Uh, we, we saw him get hot there for a bit, gave us 22.4 points, 18.8 points in week 14 and 15, and now we're like, hey, Juju, like, where'd all those points go? <laughs> like, Because we, we, we saw him get hot before that, and then he got hurt. And so we were like, okay, you were hot. You got hurt. We'll give you a break. You, you had the concussion, slow to come back from it. I'm fine. Get healthy, do your thing. But then we thought it would kind of pick back up because nobody else has really taken over the mantle there, right? As the number two behind Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And it just hasn't worked out 5.1 points per game over the last three. However, what I will say is to your point, this game could get fun. And also we know the ceiling can be there for Smith Schuster. We know he can give us the 20 to 25 point game. And it's hard to predict when it's going to come for the chiefs, but on any given weekend, like after the name Kelsey, the next chip I'm putting down is Juju because he's on the field the most. Like, yeah, we get MVS out there some, but he's hardly ever targeted. Um, we get Watson on the field some. He's never targeted. Right. So it's really of the guys they're going to use, it's either you're going to go with the gadget player, which is Mecole Hardman. He didn't practice yesterday. Or Kadarius Tony. And these are guys that play part-time but score a lot, you know, and they come through with the big plays. Or do you go with a guy like Juju that get, or do you just use them all, Marcus? You know, <laughs> you know, it's it's never wrong to just say, I'm gonna use all the Chiefs. Right. So looking at Juju though, I do think there's an opportunity for a bounce back game just just from a standpoint of regression, right? He's out there enough. It's a high volume passing offense. Like he's due. He's due for a big game. Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like these are sort of the games that, that they brought him in for, right? I mean, it's it's one thing you go and you spread the ball around during the regular season. And you get a lot of people involved. Um, look, I know he's not necessarily a an elite wide receiver, but he's a guy who can make plays for you. And he has been in playoff situations before. And I feel like this is sort of why they, they brought him in here to to be a, you know, a factor in these in these kind of situations there. Uh, looking through the, the game hub, I see uh, the prop for an Evan Ingram anytime touchdown. Um, I feel like in a game that potentially is high scoring where, especially if you mentioned, as you mentioned, if the chiefs are going to pay extra attention to, uh, Christian Kirk after what happened earlier in the season, uh, maybe this opens some things up for Evan Ingram, especially if they're able to get down near the goal line this year or this week, I should say. Yeah. And specifically you need to pay attention to this one because Jeff put in the bet and he is the person that hit the, uh, bet on the anytime score for Dalton Schultz last weekend. Mm. Uh, he also bet that for two touchdowns. So that was a nice payoff for Jeff. Um, but yeah, he's got Evan Ingram here, uh, with the over, you know, and, and his reasoning, Kansas city struggled against the tight ends. Very true. They've given up the fifth most touchdowns to the position. The chiefs over the last four games saw them yield four touchdowns to four different tight ends. So to your point, you've got to worry about Christian Kirk, You've got Evan Ingram, who really works the intermediate and underneath areas of the field. So if the Jags do fall behind and the Chiefs decide, we're just not going to give up the big play down the field, that can also play into a big game for Evan Ingram. And Evan, Evan Ingram, folks can go check out more. I wrote it up over in the Rankings and Tears article today. But if you look at the last six games, he's eclipsed 18 fantasy points in three of those. So the other nice thing with Ingram, if you're thinking about DFS, if you're thinking about you know playing some best ball, he gives you a ceiling that he can compete with Kelsey, whereas a lot of the other guys don't. We've seen him do it recently. 50% of, of his last six games, he's come through with a ceiling-type performance that can put him on the same plane as Travis Kelsey. So I think that's an important factor just from thinking about you know game theory right, and trying to think about how do you want to build a roster. There's a lot of things that point to me for Evan Ingram, so I do like Jeff's call. Yeah, so we'll, uh, you know, that's one to maybe keep an eye on. Uh, there's plenty of some of the, there's just some of the things you get in the game hub. We'll kind of go through them as we keep going through the matchups.
Over to the Giants and the Eagles, yet another rematch. Uh, these two teams played twice during the regular season. The Eagles uh, sort of ran away with the first one. The second one was, I think, a lot closer than Philadelphia would have liked it to be, but they ended up getting the win in that one there. They are an eight-point favorite. Total is at 48. And the the eight-point favorite, that, that surprises me a little bit. I mean, I know it's in Philly. I know the Eagles have had a week off, but the Giants are playing really good football right now. And... You know, I don't know how much stock you put into that adage of how hard it is to beat a team three times, but I just think more than anything, familiarity keeps this game a little bit close this week. So that never surprises me a little bit. Yeah, and on the thing of the three games, I think if you beat a team two times, you've also just beat a team two times. But I think <laughs> right. to your point, the familiarity, right? It, I think it does matter. Now, I don't think that the Eagles were showing the Giants much last week. Yeah, they played their starters because they wanted the number one seed. But I think they were also trying to tread a line of not showing the Giants what they want to do, which I think was part of why you didn't see the output you expected from the Eagles last week. I expect the Eagles to obliterate the Giants this weekend. I don't mm. expect the game to be close. Um, if you look at this, PFF grade, number two offense against the number 30 defense. You know, if you look around and you do a lineup, you know, and you're like, who's most likely that just shouldn't be here in the playoffs? It's the Giants. Now, Coaching staff's done a tremendous job. That's why I think Mike Kafka, you know, hats off, like what he's done, you know, with the offense and just, you know, overall, like what we've seen, you know, the, the turnaround with this team has been really great and the future's probably bright because of the coaching staff that you have, but you are just overmatched in every single area. The offensive line is way better than the defensive line. <laughs> the receivers cannot be covered by these cornerbacks. Um, Jalen Hurts can just destroy you if you want to play man coverage the way the Giants do. I think he had 77 yards rushing in their last matchup together. So uh, before the one, you know, last weekend where they're basically just trying to get through the game and make sure they, you know, get the number one seed. I think this is going to be a very, very problematic weekend, you know, for the Giants. <laughs> to, to, I think to your point, there's a chance because they do know them. But mm -hmm. I think the Eagles are going to have, have a few things up their sleeve for the Giants. And, and honestly... I think the Eagles could come out and just try to execute their typical normal offense. And there's mm -hmm. just too many mismatches uh, for them all over the field against the Giants. It's just, it's going to be hard for the Giants to come up with a game plan that says, well, we're going to take away A. Well, the Eagles are just going to do B and C because they have options B and C. Well, maybe we can take away A and B. Well, they still have C. And I don't <laughs> think the Giants have a good enough defense to take away two things. They're going to have to try to guess right and take away the right thing each play. And if that happened, then they could get lucky, right? They're, they're going to need turnovers. They've got to create a turnover early in this game. They've got to make a stop early in the game. They're going to have to come up with a big play early in the game. Um, otherwise, it could just get out of hand really quickly. So my, my thought on this is that the way the Giants win, or at least stay close in this game, is to sort of do, in some respects, what they did against the Vikings, which is to try to possess the ball, try to take the crowd out of it, try and just see if they can grind grind things out. I mean, that's where Saquon came in so handy last week. The difference being, this Eagle defense is a hell of a lot better than the Vikings defense yes. is. So so that that that's the challenge there for New York. Hearing your explanation, though, it certainly makes sense why you've got Jalen Hurts as your QB1 this week with the, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've got him as QB1, uh, Miles Sanders, RB6, Devonta Smith as wide receiver five. Uh, I mean, this just feels like, you know, as the way you explained it, the Giants kind of have to pick their poison here, which means that, that potentially leaves opportunities for a whole lot of other guys to go out and make plays this week. Yeah, and just quickly on Hurts, I mean, people like him, but I think overall people are too low on him this week. Mm -hmm. Like, he's listed as the third quarterback in most rankings you look at. I've got him as number one. 
Um, yeah, they're favored by eight points. But listen to this, Marcus. The Eagles have led by four plus points this season on 50 percent of their snaps wow the nfl average team is 24 (laughs) percent wow yeah so they're doubling that and oh by the way in those games it's not like they slow down with jalen hurts now part of this is he's so insulated from bad fantasy performances because he's a dual threat right you know he's got the konami code the cheat code Mm -hmm. he's got the legs knows how to use them whatever we want to say about it like i feel like i need to sing a song right there Um, (laughs) but looking at hurts you know 265 yards and 1.7 touchdowns passing per game plus 49 yards and almost one rushing touchdowns per game in the games where they've led by 50 percent or more of the snaps so even if this turns into a blowout, Hurts is probably coming through with a really big game. Um, he's got the weapons on the outside to make it happen. The last time he faced off against these very giants, um, not the last time, the time before the last time, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, kind of already explained last week, but 214 <laughs> right. passing yards, two passing touchdowns, plus 77 yards and a touchdown on the ground, 30.4 fantasy points. So wow. it's just really hard to hold him down. As far as Miles Sanders goes, you know, it's hard to put a pin in Miles Sanders because what is he? He's boom bust. Like mm-hmm. there, it's hard to put a pin in the middle of the board and say, oh, Miles Sanders, you should just never project him for his median outcome. It's not happening. Like he's <laughs> either going to hit the ceiling or he's going to hit the floor. Um, and he's my RB6 this week, but he has the upside to be the RB1 overall in, I mean, on the entire slate. So if you look back to his 28.5 outing in week 14, that was against the Giants. The Giants give up more rushing yards and non-overtime play than any other defense remaining in the playoffs, 138 yards. And you mentioned it. The problem, I agree, trying to possess the ball is one thing, but you have to score the points. Yeah. Right. You've got to score the touchdowns because the Eagles are going to score touchdowns. You were able to knock the Vikings off their game and the Vikings gave the Giants huge favors because they played the worst coverage I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And that led to what might have been. Did you see all the third downs they converted? It was oh, nuts. Yeah. I just kept insane. watching I'm like third and seven converted <laughs> third and eight converted. Uh, that's going to be a problem you know, against the Eagles. And then last one, Devonta Smith. Um, you know, on a small slate like this, overall rankings matter a lot, in my opinion. In the regular season, when you've got a full slate, a lot of times people want to focus on, oh, well, the wide receiver one versus the wide receiver five. But I have actually got Devonta Smith um, four spots ahead in my overall ranks versus industry consensus. And it's just real simple. We've talked about him before, so I won't spend a lot of time. But this isn't a wide receiver one versus wide receiver two conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a 1A, 1B between yeah. him and A.J. Brown. Now, A.J. Brown does more with the ball once he gets it. But Devonta Smith can honestly get open more in different ways on his own than what we've seen with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's a good route runner. Devonta Smith is a great route runner. He is a great separator. Now, he doesn't do as much after the catch, not as likely to beat you over the top. So A.J. Brown's still the number one option here as far as fantasy points. But from a target standpoint, Marcus, which is what we're looking at a lot, they're really close. I mean, if you look at the target shares for the you know all the games where they've been healthy together, A.J. Brown is plus one. They're very close. So, I mean, Devonta Smith has almost had as many games where he out-targeted A.J. Brown as A.J. Brown has had where he out-targeted, you know, Devonta Smith. They're only differentiated by one there. So it's just something where I don't think in people's minds it's closed enough yet to think that, well, really, this could be either one of these guys going off for 120 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, does Boston Scott score a touchdown against the Giants? Because that's what he's Is there does. a bet you're looking to place here? I, I don't know. I'm just like... <laughs> It's like it, it almost feels like it's worthy of one, right? Because he's got 17 career touchdowns. Ten of them have come against the Giants. 
Um, I don't think well, there's here's any what I'll say. There. There's no analytics the way, there. It's just thing that happens, it seems. The Eagles are really good on first drives. And what they do, if you've noticed this, they script that first drive. And at the end of the first drive, it's almost always Boston Scott coming on the field <laughs> once they get inside the 10. Mm-hmm. So if the Eagles score on the first touch on the first drive, then I think, you know, there's a 30% chance that's Boston Scott. I don't yeah. know what that does for you, but he kind of needs to do it then um, <laughs> right. because then his usage later on in the game gets a little more spotty. But in that first drive, for whatever reason, like you'll see it. Here comes Boston Scott running on the field. It's like, hey, dude, go score a touchdown if you can. Um, but it's it's the only discernible thing I've been able to find about about Boston Scott that I can actually say, hey, he gets this like every week. Uh, yeah, I forgot to get our picks for uh, for Jaguars Chiefs. We'll do that in a second. But first, uh Giants Eagles uh give me give me a winner for this one well I think I've already given you guys I, yeah, I think so I, I you know it's tough to bet the spread because it's eight points like it's just too high you mm-hmm. know you, you don't like to bet it you know when they start to get that high but I'm, I'm taking the Eagles to win here if I'm betting if I have to bet the spread you know I would take the Giants but I'm yeah. not betting either, either of those things I'm just going to pick the Eagles to win yeah no same uh I, I think the Eagles win I think the Giants keep it under the number um, but I, I think the Eagles are going to win this thing. I would assume you feel the same way about Jaguars Chiefs, or, or am I wrong there? Yes, take the Chiefs straight up. It's tough to give those points. I will say the most likely upset of the weekend, and when I say upset, it's really only these two games because these are right. the two games with a spread of a touchdown or more. I think the Jaguars are more likely to upset the Chiefs than the Giants are the Eagles. Hmm. All right. Uh, so, yeah, those games seem pretty settled on Saturday. That turns our attention to Sunday. We're uh, yet another rematch. We have seen nothing but rematches uh, so far in the NFL playoffs. Bengals at Bills. Of course, we didn't see how that game concluded, unfortunately. But uh, this week, the Bills, five and a half point favorite. The uh, number is 48 on that one. And we don't have, obviously, we didn't have this year's game to kind of fall back on. But, you know, these teams are familiar with one another. Um, They both feel sort of vulnerable in the sense that the Bills... They kind of played with their food last week and and ended up having to pull one out against Miami. Meanwhile, the Bengals, I thought, played a pretty good game, but they're beat up. They come into this potentially missing three starters. So both these teams, maybe not humming along at full strength the way we would have anticipated, but this feels like it has the, the potential to be kind of an instant classic if these two teams play up to their their expectations. Yeah, like if I was picking, you know, and said the most likely game to hit the over this weekend, like right now, this game's sitting at 48 and a half. Mm-hmm. You can see it over on the game hub. I would pick that game. Like, because it's tough to pick the over with the Chiefs at 53. You can do it. Um, but I think this is the game that's most likely to explode, Marcus, because you've got the two quarterbacks. You've got the Bengals with, you know, Jamar Chase just truly ascending to another stratosphere right now. Talked about him in the utilization report this week, folks. You can go check it out over at fantasylife.com. It's free, so why wouldn't you? And you still got a really good wide receiver, too, and T. Higgins. You've got a really good wide receiver, three, uh, and Tyler Boyd. Hayden Hurst is now healthy. You've got Joe Mixon in the backfield. Now, the offensive line is going to be the challenge. You know, if Jonah Williams can't go, like, that's that's a problem. Um, but... Joe Burrow is not a hold on to the quarter to the ball a long time quarterback, right? He can get the ball out quickly when he needs to. Yes, he will hold on to the ball, which you want because you want to create the big plays. Um, and sometimes to do that, you've got to be willing to take a little bit more risk and hold the ball longer to let things develop down the field. And he's willing to do that. But they can also win with a quick game. You know, Jamar Chase can catch a five yard slant and go to the house. We've seen it. 
Um, T. Higgins, can, not quite the same level as Jamar Chase in, in, in that regard, but he can do it. Um, so I think there's just a real good opportunity here because of the two quarterbacks dueling between Burrow, between Josh Allen. It's the, obviously I'm a Cowboys fan. So the game I'm most excited about is I want to watch the Cowboys, but like if <laughs> just as a, you know, an NFL fan, this is the game. This is the game of the weekend. This is the one that like is must see TV going to be in my seat, going to just be enjoying football, watching football, not even necessarily worried so much about, yeah, I'll be sweating because I'm always sweating, whatever, you know, some <laughs> sort of bet somewhere. Um, but like just excited to watch the game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This is the, you know, clear your schedule, make sure you got everything done, you know, all your chores done for the weekend. Uh, so you can sit down <laughs> and watch Bengals bills, that, that sort of thing. Um, you got, you kind of talked about the, the Bengals offense a little bit. I mean, we do have a matchup of two of the top receivers in the league, Jamar Chase on one side, Stefan Diggs on the other. You got two of the top quarterbacks with Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. Um, I mean, this is, this is sort of the, the talent at its finest when you talk about these two matchups, uh, these two teams matching up in this one. Um, we did talk a little bit earlier in the week about about Joe Mixon and the fact that he's yeah. losing a lot of passing game work. Any concern that that we see a larger a larger dose of Samaj P. Ryan this week in a game where you know the Bengals could have to throw the ball depending on how the, the game script goes? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because one thing that the Bengals could try to do is run the ball a little bit more to offset you know, if they've got offensive line challenges to try to keep the Bills at least guessing a little bit more. And if they did that, that could be okay for Mixon. The Bills are not necessarily a good run defense. They don't give up a lot of yards per game on the ground because they lead a lot, right? And they force other teams to have to abandon the run more quickly than maybe they would normally. So I think there's a potential silver lining there for Mixon, but we're guessing. We're just kind of guessing, like, what are the ways, right, that the Bengals could help offset if we have this game where they're, you know, down, you know, in the offensive line, that would be one way. And we have seen Zach Taylor in the past, you know, commit to things like that, but it's hard to just say, that's what they're going to do. That's pure speculation, you know, on my part. So if, if the game goes more like if they don't make an adjustment for that, um, and the game more goes more like what we've seen recently. Yeah. If this gets into a shootout or the Bengals fall behind, which could easily happen versus the bills, then, you know, we could see another game where Samaji Piran sees last week it was 50% of the snaps. He outsnapped, you know, Joe Mixon um, in a close game with the Ravens. So I think that's, I think there's a lot of potential for that. So Mixon's a guy you're still going to like. He's got a chance to score the touchdowns, but he's not involved in the passing game. Last week, season low, 24% route participation. If they have to go to the hurry up offense, it's Piran. And this is a game where they could need, the, they could need the hurry up a lot this week, Marcus. And the Bills are, also a team that has shown a willingness to play deep coverage, right? And make you check it down in those kind of scenarios, especially if you've got, you know, a guy named T Higgins and another guy named Jamar Chase, it may yeah. even make more sense. So I think there's also a chance that P Ryan, although he's really just kind of been a utilization guy, but not a fantasy points guy. I don't mind like on a small slate like this, getting different with P Ryan and a few of your DFS builds. And you're just all you're hoping for is inside the 10 yard line, he catches, you know, a two yard, you know, a swing pass or a little check down and he scores. Yeah. Right. And we've seen him do that. Like, so he could come through. And if some of the other running backs miss on the slate and that lets you pivot up to the receivers. So just one, I wouldn't do this with a lot of rosters, folks. Like if I'm doing a hundred lineups, I might do that with P Ryan with 10 of them, five of them like that. So don't like get carried away. 
Right. Uh, the other thing, Jeff, uh, Jeff's got the, the under on Tyler Boyd, 36 and a half receiving yards. This just sort of feels like science just because, uh, you know, so much of the passing game is focused on Chase, on Higgins. Uh, we talked about P. Ryan. This, this just sort of feels like, you know, business as usual. Boyd is Boyd. a nice pivot, though, for DFS, right? Mm-hmm. Because if people are going to, uh, the easiest way to think about what other people are going to do when they're clicking on names is to think like just what you just said, right? And it's true. It does seem like science. Everything goes to Higgins. Everything goes to to Chase. Well, what immediately happens is then then Tyler Boyd gets lower roster ship, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and if that happens, then you if you hit, then that also means one of the others is probably not hitting. So you get like this double whammy effect. All of a sudden, you're getting a player that's lower rostered. You shoot up past your field mates, and one of the two guys they rostered all the time didn't hit. And so now you just move further up the rank. So when you're thinking like more at a macro level, I like Boyd from that perspective, but just from a rational level, I agree. It's all about, it's all about Jamar Chase. If we're just talking about the game, it's Chase and Higgins. If we're talking about trying to create leverage in a DFS tournament, you're like, oh, okay, maybe Tyler Boyd. Okay. So, and, and, and a lot of it comes down to his price tag too. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, fantasy life has Tyler Boyd projected just under 22 receiving yards for the game. So, uh, you know, take that for for what it's worth. All right, so here it is. The the at least on paper, just the general fantasy or just general football uh, fans game of the week. Uh, the the Bills mentioned five and a half point favorite. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, I think you have to take the Bills at home, um, especially with the Bengals. You know, playing playing banged up. Um, so against the spread. But if I'm just going to pick straight up, I'm going with the Bengals. Um, you know, I don't want to give the points, though. If I'm having to cover the spread, I go with the Bills. Straight up, I would definitely go with the Bengals in the game. Um, I, I just think they have better talent all around surrounding a really good quarterback. Yeah. Josh Allen has one thing, Stefan Diggs. That's it. Now, Josh Allen has himself as well. So, you know, <laughs> that's really good. And he can do things on the ground. He can throw an 80-yard bomb at any moment. And we did see Gabriel Davis go absolutely bananas in this game last year, right? And Gabe Davis is leading the team in targets over the last three games, 27%. His average depth of target is up to 19.2 over the last three games. So Gabe Davis has a chance to come through with some big plays here. But you got to think that the Bengals have not forgotten that game with Gabe Davis. And if you think back... It was some blown coverage kind of stuff. There was some weird stuff going on in that game to get Gabe Davis there. But overall, I just think the Bengals have the more talented roster overall than the Bills. Yeah, I, I think the Bengals win this game. I, I felt a little more confident before they, they kind of got beat up. But I think even still, I think they are just top to bottom, as you mentioned. I think they are a deeper football team. I think they're sort of playing better football right now. Um, you know, I think this is going to be super entertaining, super interesting, but I would not at all be surprised if Cincinnati goes into Buffalo and we see them back on their way to the AFC championship game uh, after this week. So, uh, this one's going to be fun. Definitely looking forward to it, but let's get to the one that you and I care about the most, Dwayne. It is it's the Cowboys and the 49ers. You and I are of the same age, and so I'm sure we remember all of those battles in the late 80s, early 90s, when these were the two top teams in the NFL, and and you knew when they played in the regular season that the winner of that game was probably going to have home field advantage through the playoffs, and that the winner in the playoffs probably on their way to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, it, it, the stakes aren't quite that high, but they're still pretty elevated. So, I, you know, for me, I'm, I have visions in my head of, of Michael Irvin and Alvin Harper mm. just terrorizing 49ers defensive backs, that whole thing. Um, 
this Alvin one I think running out of gas on the plant <laughs> route just you know just couldn't just got you know got like 50 yards of it and just ran out of gas <laughs> got caught from behind yeah, yeah I, I my, my my members are Alvin harper not getting called for push-offs repeatedly oh, on yeah. the backs well it was a different um, game back then yeah. yeah, it was definitely a different game back then. Um, but this one should be a lot of fun. I think this is going to be really, really interesting. Two teams that are playing very well defensively, two teams that have really turned it up offensively. Uh, it is the the closest game by the number, three and a half points. The Niners are a favorite for 46 is the, the total in this one. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you and I could sit here and have done a whole show on this game. But but the the top line points for you that you take away from this matchup. Yeah, number one, I was a sophomore in high school when this game happened. I remember everything about the day uh, because I went to my dad's this last weekend, my wife and I and our daughter. We all went over and hung out with my dad. My brother came over and we just, you know, watched the game with my dad and mom. We were talking about it. It was 30 years ago yeah. that that game happened. And so, Marcus, I'm going to sit in my exact same spot that I sat in that game uh, before. <laughs> now, to your point, it was the championship game then, not the divisional round. So I'm going to sit in that spot. We'll see if we can rekindle the magic. Um, I kind of sat in the spot last week, and and we blew out the Bucks. So I'm just saying, you're going to probably need to get whatever mojo you need to get going. Right, I'm going to do my side. <laughs> but from a game perspective, I think there's a few things here. If the Cowboys want to win, they've got to stop the run right away. Um They've done that better over the last four games. It had been a major problem, a major problem for them. But over the last four contests, they've actually done a nice job there. Um, then you're going to want to take away the easy throws. That means you're going to need to pay. You're going to have to play more man coverage and less zone. The Cowboys cannot come out there and play zone and let Z Debo Samuel catch three yard bubble screens and take off for touchdowns and run little drag routes where nobody's cut. You can't do that. You have to say Brock Purdy, no. You're not throwing to Debo Samuel on this play. We're taking the read away. You've got to go to Brandon Ayuk. And we're going to try to take away his easy leverage to the inside. We're going to make him, we're going to force him to choose to run a, a deep route. And then you're going to have to hit him. And then you just have to pray to God that somehow Leighton Vander Esch and Curse together can cover Kittle. Because that's the that's going to be the biggest matchup problem. If the Cowboys can manage to take away Debo with more man coverage, you shut down the running game, at least to some extent. The 49ers, it's easier said than done. Their scheme is so diverse. They're so good at executing on what they do. But the Cowboys have got to do these things early. You've got to make Brock Purdy show you that he can beat you in man coverage deep down the field with pressure right in his face. That's because he's shown us he can do everything else. If you're going to let him play the game that the 49ers play, they're going to beat the Cowboys. And I, it could turn into a blowout, to be honest. So you've got to do something different this game. I think the other thing you've got to do is you've got to get Tony Pollard involved in the passing game. The 49ers play the most zone coverage in the league. You can scheme up a lot for your running backs in the passing game. Tony Pollard is an explosive playmaker. You have to get the easy yards. You have to get them. And then if you want to look at C.D. Lamb, they got to move him around, do the things they've been doing. The other thing you can do with the 49ers is you can attack, you can attack them in these zones. You can get down the seams. You can get a, you can get over the top of the linebacker in front of the safety on these deep crossing routes, things like you see with Cooper Cup. You can do those sort of things. So it's going to come down to Lamb and Pollard and really the other things I mentioned. On the 49ers side, it's just the opposite, right? You, you want to get the running game going. So the Cowboys can't get into all these heavy man blitz kind of looks where, you know, you could make them pay. Um, you've got to maximize the mismatch against Leighton Vander Esch with George Kittle. Like Leighton Vander Esch is like, he cannot cover George Kittle. It's like, he looks like RoboCop. Like he cannot <laughs> cover him. So it's going to be a problem. Um, so you got to figure that out. 
and and how you're just going to need to target Kittle early and often. So I think those are, for me, the big things on each side that you need to see to give either team a chance. Well, you mentioned the two names that, that scare me as a 49er fan, and that being Tony Pollard and C.D. Lamb. And for the Niners, they do have to sort of prevent uh, some of the explosive plays that Pollard can provide, both in the running game and, as you mentioned, as a pass catcher. Um, and we saw last week in that first half, Kenneth Walker was grinding against the Niners, and that really opened some things up for Geno Smith to throw the football. Uh, the other part of it is we saw how effective Dak was with the play action against the Bucs. And, and you know, we talked at the start of the show about how that Bucks defense just wasn't the same, but the Niners have struggled with play action all year long. And and if you know that can hold those guys in the middle and, and you can sort of, you know, I don't know if you can ever completely neutralize a Fred Warner or a Dre Greenlaw, but if you can sort of force those guys to hesitate and open some things up in the middle of the field, that potentially does open up some big plays uh, for the Cowboys there. And really for the Niners, it is just about trying to keep Brock Purdy comfortable. Um, I thought early in that game last week, they asked him, or he at least took some shots down the field, and was off, and, and he missed Jawan Jennings on a couple. He was lucky to get away with a couple of those throws. If the Cowboys can force him into some of those throws and, and force him to be accurate, um, you know, I think they've got a good chance there. Now, if if he if they force him into those and he turns out to hit a couple, then yeah, it, it could be a bad day. But I think I think I would rather take my chances and see if he can do that because I don't feel like defenses have forced him into that a whole lot. And some of that is credit to Kyle Shanahan, who has really schemed up opportunities for the guys around him and, and made it so that you can always have one of those options open that are a little bit uh, more of a high percentage throw. But if the Cowboys can force him into some of those kind of lower percentage throws, uh, maybe there is there is something there. You talk about Christian McCaffrey getting that running game going. I mean, he's the, the headliner there. But Elijah Mitchell has been getting a lot of looks lately, so I don't know that we can completely discount him in this offense based on what Kyle Shanahan's wanted to do. Yeah, so from just a game perspective, McCaffrey's going to be a nightmare for the Cowboys. He's a big part of how the 49ers can win the game. But from a fantasy perspective this weekend, I do think CMC is fadeable if you're going to be playing, you know, the four-game slate over in DFS or if you want to play the two-game slate on Sunday because he's not necessarily been that 30-point kind of McCaffrey we've seen. So you could get lucky here, and you could have CMC not hit. Most of the field's going to have him, and a lot of it ties back to what you just said, um, Marcus. What What's going on is the splits with Elijah Mitchell. We've now got five games where we've seen this, and McCaffrey averages 34% of the rushing attempts in games with Mitchell. It's 58% in games mm -hmm. without him. So that obviously impacts his fantasy production. CMC 9.3 fewer fantasy points per game in contests with Elijah Mitchell. So again, that puts him around, you know, 18, 20 point range. You know, there's a, there's a path there where you could still be victorious, you know, with CMC hitting his 15, hitting his 16, 17, and if he actually ends up busting out, well, then that's just a bonus for you. So the other thing is his current rushing prop is 65.5 minus 110 over on bet MGM. That's about a 6.5% edge right now. If you just want to compare that number to what he's averaged rushing at 54.6 over the games with Elijah Mitchell versus 92 in the games without Elijah Mitchell. So I think there's some things you can do there with the McCaffrey prop as well as thinking about him in DFS. So... Let's just get down to you know to the nuts and bolts of this thing. Who are you picking in this game? Like like I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, look, I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I'm going with the Cowboys. But if I'm truly betting, someone came to me, um, you know, Ian Harditz and I used to have this thing we would talk about. It was like, hey, if a Girl Scout came to your door and they had a gun, it was kind of dark. Right? <laughs> I don't know why they would have a gun, but then they make you they force you to make a bet. It was it was that, hey, it's a Girl Scout. I'm going to open the door. And then she's like, hey, Cowboys are Niners minus three and a half. And you're like, oh, God, like I'm going to die or I got to pick this game. I would take the Niners with the points. Um, I think it's a really tough matchup. And you notice when I mention the things the Cowboys have to do, there's a lot of things they have to get right to beat the 49ers. I think the 49ers can come out and if the Cowboys don't do those things and they just play their normal game plan, they're going to beat Dallas. Um, and it's in San Francisco. So that's tough. Like if I'm just picking the game though, give me the Cowboys because I love them and I want to root for them. And it's one of those few times, Marcus, where we get to just have this purity about the game that we're watching. And look, I love fantasy too. I love, you know, prop betting. I love all those things. But at the end of the day, like I love football first. And so right. I try to go back to like my infancy, like when these sort of matchups happen and just sit down and like let them kind of like wash over me. And because mm -hmm. of that, I have to pick the Cowboys from that perspective because I just want to go enjoy the pure viewing pleasure and just be a fan during the game. Yeah, well, for the same reason. That's why I'm taking the 49ers. <laughs> I'm taking the 49ers in this one. I mean, because what kind of fan would I be if uh, if I didn't take them to, to win the game straight up? But uh, I do think being in San Francisco is a little bit of an advantage. My concern is that they do have a tendency to settle for field goals, and that makes things difficult for them. But I think if they if they can they can punch the ball in the end zone. Uh, I think they can, they can get over that number. So uh, I, I would do that. Also, I, I don't need to be at gunpoint to buy thin mints. I think thin mints are delicious and I would buy them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Thin mints, thin mints are good. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some really good ones. The, yeah. the caramel delights. I, I like those uh, as well. There's some good Girl Scout cookies. Great. You know, like I I don't have to be forced at gunpoint to buy them. I will gladly help the Girl Scouts All of our <laughs> All of mine and Ian's FFPC joint entries this year were named after Girl Scout cookies, but they they would had like uh like Death by Caramel Delights. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and have like some weird thing added to it. So yeah, that is super super amazing. Uh, a little weird, but but kind of amazing all at the same time. <laughs> That's morbid. By the way. Uh, of course, as I mentioned, we got all this information at the Game Hub, so you can get everything you need to get yourself ready for the weekend. But if you are looking for another sweat for the playoff bracket, be sure to check out the Fantasy Life Playoff Contest. You can compete against our analysts and some other fans in a playoff pick -em for a shot at weekly prizes as well. And here it is, the grand prize trip to the Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio. You can compete in a live Sirius XM Fantasy Football Draft. You can find uh, the way to get in at fantasylife.com so uh, be sure to go there and check it out and uh, you can come hang out with us we'll be there and uh you know we can come hang out and, and we can talk about girl scout cookies or whatever else it is uh that you want to talk about uh you know fantasy football wise or or otherwise there fantasy fixers time we are looking at the arizona cardinals and uh matt lamarca did the write-up on this over at fantasylife.com and uh, he mentioned that things were so bad Cliff Kingsbury had to flee the country. That's how things went for the Cardinals this year. Uh, it was a team that certainly underperformed uh, within the context of the season, within the context of the NFC West. Uh, if you had to kind of summarize them, is there one big thing that jumped out at you with this, this Cardinals team this year? Yeah, I think LaMarca actually hits it. You've got to have the old Kyler Murray back. Um, you think you have a franchise quarterback. You've paid him as a franchise quarterback. 
So you've got to go out of your way to enable Kyler Murray to be, you know, as good as he can be. And I, I don't think there is, I don't think there's been any love lost for Cliff Kingsbury on this show. I think we've talked multiple times, <laughs> you know, there's the jokes about, wow, DeAndre Hopkins, you look at his route tree and he's just always on the left side of the field with a bunch <laughs> of squiggly lines. You know, don't move people around enough. You're not using motion. You're not getting under center enough. You're not using play action enough. Yeah, your offense was terrible, Cliff Kingsbury, so you do need to do some soul-searching. I have no clue what you were even doing or how you thought that was an NFL offense. Um, it was terrible. So I think you're going to get an immediate upgrade in that manner. We also had the Cardinals come out, and they've hired a new GM. So Monty Ossenfort, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, Marcus. Mm -hmm. If I'm not, you can correct me. <laughs> but he also came out and I think pretty much shot, you know, uh, you know, it was a shot over the bow right at Kyler Murray says, I'm excited to embark on this stage of the Card of Cardinals football. We're going to focus on completely unified message across the general manager, the head coach, and the ownership. Exactly what we want to be as a football organization. Now, here's the real part, right? Uh, it is talking about the fact that we're not just going to collect talent. We're going to build a team. Ego will not be tolerated, Marcus, in this organization. We're going to look for focused, <clears throat> not playing Call of Duty, driven <laughs> people that are willing to put the team first, not their kill ratio on Call of Duty, every step of the way. So I definitely think this is a wake-up moment for Kyler Murray. Now, what I think you're also going to get is probably, I would guess, they're going to try to do everything they can because you've got money in Kyler Murray. And guess what? He does the things that Josh Allen does that people love. He does the things that Lamar Jackson does that make people love him, that's going to get him a huge contract. Kyler Murray can do all of those things. So you've got to figure out how to maximize him. You've got to get him motivated again. So I 100% agree with LaMarca. Bring the offense forward. Scheme up things to help this guy out. Don't just make him drop back, right? And throw the ball 50 times a game, you know, to you know some old route tree that was invented whenever Cliff Kingsbury was quarterback at Texas Tech. I know there's been talk that Kyler Murray and some of the other team leaders there in Arizona will have input in who the head coach should be going forward. I know the jokes were flying that uh, that means the Cardinals are going to hold their head coaching interviews on Twitch so that Kyler Murray can be involved in that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But I didn't see that. that the, but things, Just had a real laugh out loud moment there. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, but things things do, I think, begin with Kyler going back to being the Kyler that uh, you know they drafted uh, several years ago. There have been also talks that DeAndre Hopkins could get moved. Matt says that might not be the best idea, that maybe the Cardinals should hold on to Nuke Hopkins. Your thoughts, does he need to stay or should he go? I agree on that one as well. Now, what we don't know here, Hopkins may be done. He just might be done with Kyler Murray. You saw that relationship, I think, a little bit at the end starting to fray. I thought Hopkins was very patient with him early on, you know, kind of tried to, you know, appease Kyler. Yeah, yeah, you're right, man. This, this, and this. And if you notice that the, towards the end before Murray got hurt, he's over there, like, giving a look to Hopkins. And Hopkins is basically like, bro, don't come at me. Like, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what I need to do. You need to focus on you because right now you're the problem with the team. So I don't know. I don't know if that relationship is frayed or whatever, but from a pure X's and O's standpoint, thinking about building a roster, Hopkins came out and did what we thought, what we thought of him like when he was 28, 27 years old. He did that this year. Um, he'll be, he's 30 this year. He'll be 31 next year. So he's starting to get a little bit long in the tooth, but you brought in Marquise Brown to play with him 
right, and have two complementary weapons. I think you could still have that next year, Marcus. DeAndre Hopkins can be your, hey, we need 10 yards, we're going to hop. Doesn't matter if he's covered, doesn't matter if he's not. We want to go over the top. We want to hit a guy on a deep crosser. That's going to be Marquise Brown. So they're perfect complements to one another. And I think that Hopkins, based on what we saw this week, or this year, sorry, is there any reason to think like he's just suddenly going to fall off? I will say with receivers, we don't typically see it coming. A cliff just hits. Like it'll just all of a sudden hit and you get, you know, Adam Harstead from over football guys. He's done a lot of really cool uh, studies on this and he's got some tables you can look at, but it basically shows like, it's like receivers. Fine, fine, fine. Maybe they tell a little bit, but then all of a sudden it's just like gone. Yeah. So we can't necessarily predict, but all I can do is look at what Deandre Hopkins did this season. And then also I look at player at receivers that were able to play later into their careers they were this archetype of receiver. Brandon Marshall had really good years at like 33 and 34 years old. You can do it if you are this elite possession type receiver where your game is not completely dependent on speed and getting over the top because the nature of your game, it can still work even if you lose a little bit of a step. So I think that Hopkins is still a guy that you would want to keep on the team. That's your primary two targets. Then you can think about what do you want to do in the draft to add some additional speed. Can you keep Rondell more healthy? Um, I think that's another key. Um, you've got Zach Ertz coming back next year. So, yeah, I like the idea of keeping DeAndre Hopkins. And and health is a big part of it, too, because this offense never got to be fully operational. There was always one piece missing because of suspensions, injuries, what have you. So I think keeping DeAndre Hopkins gives you a chance to see what this group could look like when they are truly healthy, when they are all playing together at the same time. One last thing that Matt suggested, going out and spending the number three overall pick on Will Anderson Jr., the linebacker, a pass rusher from the University of Alabama, not spending it on you know an offensive side of the, the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I know for fantasy purposes, we don't necessarily talk about individual defensive players, but this does make an impact on what this team does. Uh, Will Anderson, or is maybe there's somebody else potentially that that you like in that spot? Well, the Cardinals need some defensive help. Um, Will Anderson will probably be the number one prospect on most boards overall. Uh, but you've got the Colts potentially trading up to number one, you know, to take, you know, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. We'll, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see who they decide on there. Um, and then that's going to leave the Texans probably taking a quarterback at two. So this is a realistic possibility that you could have the number one edge rusher in the draft available to you. And I do think that that would be a smart move. I think that would be very hard for the Cardinals to pass. The other option is if they really don't want to do that, because he technically is the number one guy on probably a lot of big boards is you could trade down from there. Mm -hmm. So maybe you got a team sitting down at, you know, I don't know, you don't want to trade out of the top 10, but if you can make a trade back and still, and that gives you more ammunition to do a few more things, then I, I think you could entertain that. However, I do think the Cardinals, like their overall roster mark is like, if you get Kyler Murray, right, it's probably closer to being a good team again than the Rams. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, we like what the Seahawks did this last year, but it also surprised us. Like, there's a real path that next year we're looking at this and we're like, wow, you know, we're at the end of the season. Cardinals are right there with the 49ers hanging in. Um, so I, I think it's a situation where taking the best player is also still a really good path. And if that happens to be Will Anderson, then, yeah, I think it's very hard to, to, to pass on him there unless you just get like this really great trade offer and it allows you to accumulate more picks. Well, to your point, I mean, 2021, the Cardinals went 11 and six. They 
ended up losing out on the NFC West, but they were a playoff team. So uh, they are not that far removed from having been in the postseason. So it doesn't seem like it should take that many steps to get them back into it. Yeah. Fourth fewest want- sacks on the on the year. So th- they need yeah. help. <laughs> yeah, that is something they need help with, especially you know losing JJ Watt uh, to retirement too at the end of the season. There, uh, if you want more in-depth analysis, though, you can read all of Matt's thoughts on the fantasy fixers, uh, the Cardinals. They're over at fantasylife.com. Let us know what you think. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't agree. You can certainly let us know in the comments. In the meantime, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. Should be a whole fun weekend. Hopefully you enjoyed this edition of the show as well. For Dwayne, I'm Marcus, letting you know that uh, we're going to be back with you next week to recap what happened for the divisional round. So enjoy the football this weekend, everybody, and we will talk to you again real soon.